Welcome to the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, Faculty of British Columbia podcast. We are a diverse coalition of Asian Canadian legal professionals. We promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian Canadian legal professionals and the community. We foster advocacy, community involvement, legal scholarship, and professional development. The purpose of this podcast highlights the diverse and unique members of our community. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Joan. How are you doing? Really well. Thank you so much for coming back to our podcast. Just for our listeners, this is the follow-up to an interview that we did almost a year ago on Asian litigators in Vancouver. And Kevin, you were very kind to come on to our show last time. But since then, you've actually had a new development. What has happened in the last couple of months for you, Kevin? In December, I was um, fortunate and enough and, and honored to be appointed Queen's Counsel in British Columbia. And what that means is you get a QC after your name, and it's a long-standing tradition dating back to the times of the English barristers. It's always been a an honorific in old English times, and, and I believe it, it conferred quite significant advantages on Queen's Counsel. In British Columbia today, it, it is something in which you are recognized by your peers and by the law society and by the bar, but it doesn't really provide you with with any specific tangible advantages like it used to. In British Columbia, there were 30 appointed this year, and, and there's there's a specific objective process that has gone through. In other provinces, it might be different. In Ontario, they've actually discontinued the use of the QCs. My understanding is the Queen's Council Act, the, the public statute that governs the granting of the QC or won't be long, we'll be saying KC uh, designation. I think it's capped at 12% or thir- some low teen number. Yeah, I, I think it's seven actually. Oh, seven. Oh, pardon yeah. me. 7% of the lawyer population. So it's really an honor to talk to you and speak with you, Kevin. You call an honorific, but I think it's great recognition of your standing at the bar. What has the QC meant for you, practically speaking? Do you notice people just bowing down to you a little bit more, <laughs> just a little bit, or in, anything tangible that has come out as a result of the QC? I, I'm not sure how much tangible happens. I've ordered my silk gowns. I haven't worn them yet. That's something that distinguishes the Queen's Council from other council. Of course, it's gratifying that you receive the recognition of the Law Society and the Bar and your peers by the appointment itself. But I found it fascinating and and very gratifying to have so many people reach out after the appointment. I, I think it's quite a tradition for people to review the appointment list that comes out when there's a, a group of QCs appointed. And dozens of people wrote to me or called me and, and congratulated me on the appointment and reached out to connect. And many of these people I hadn't seen for five, 10 years and people that I knew early on in my career or people that I simply have lost touch with. So that was really nice. So, so that's part of it. I, I've been in the Court of Appeal since the appointment. I've been in the trial court a few times. Not all of those judges probably knew me before. So perhaps the designation does something to influence their view of who I might be, but but who knows? Uh, I, I don't know that with any... But no, I, <laughs> life has not changed in any great way. Does getting your QC mean anything for you, being an Asian lawyer or, or visibly Asian lawyer? 
Well, I, I do think it is important that, that all aspects of our bar be be adequately represented in the diversity of our province and the diversity of our bar. So yeah, my appointment is is a step along with the appointment of others and, and others who are diverse in other ways to better represent the diversity of the bar among the QCs. It's not a, only important sort of in an overall objective sense, but it is important for people who might be looking up or, or embarking on their careers or thinking of being in that position as well one day. We did a little ceremony at which you were at, Joan, at, <laughs> at my firm after my appointment. And I said something like, there is real truth to the idea that young people will aspire to bigger things when those in prominent positions reflect their diversity or look like them. I do think that's true. I think the appointment is important in that way as an Asian litigator and as a litigator who is the member of a visible minority. Kevin, I'm, I'm going to go off script and acknowledging that this is a, a bigger platform than the more intimate ceremony that you very kindly invited me to at your firm. You did share a part of your family history where you actually have law in your blood. And actually, I didn't know that about you. And it was a touching account that you gave. To the extent you feel comfortable, could you share some of the tying together history and, and today and your appointment as a QC and as a member of the bar? Sure. So what you're referring to, Chilwin, is, is my reference in my little acceptance speech to my uncle Andy. His name was Andrew Joe, and he was my great uncle, meaning my grandmother's brother. And he was born in 1926 in Victoria. And in 1953, he was the first Chinese Canadian ever appointed to the Bar of British Columbia. And, and so it, it's interesting in a number of ways. But one way, of course, is that I, I feel like I'm following in his footsteps in a way. And, and he certainly was an inspiration when I was very young. The second interesting thing is that, as far as I know, we are still the only two lawyers in my entire extended family. <laughs> there are other people in our extended family who have done interesting and, and prominent things, but no other lawyers. But Uncle Andy was always around growing up and... Uh, he had a sole practitioner practice in Chinatown. By the time I, I was old enough to you know, have, have talks with him about my potential legal career, he was mostly retired. And that's a, a big tie back for me to early on in, in my family. Did, did you ever talk to him as you were trying mulling the decision whether to go to law school and then become a lawyer? I, I don't remember any specific discussions where I asked for advice, but I'm sure we had those discussions and I certainly knew about and respected his previous career as a lawyer. The only Asian lawyers that I can think of that vintage that got the QC would have been Douglas Jung, but he, of course, he was a first in other ways as well. Do you recall, I mean, I'm sure factually we could look it up, but just offhand, mm -hmm. do you know of any Asian lawyers in that generation that had the honor of, of being Queen's counsel? Uh, probably not in that generation. I mean, that's very, very early, right? 1953. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of a later generation, like when we were young lawyers, who was on the bench? Linda Liu was on the bench or she was just appointed. Yeah. Randall Wong was around. I, I don't know if they were QCs before they were appointed. 
I think Bill, Bill Yee was in the provincial court, but not Supreme Court. Certainly no one in the Court of Appeal that I remember, let alone Supreme Court of Canada. No. To the extent you feel comfortable in, in sharing, some of it is speculative, but what do you think your great uncle would have said knowing that his great nephew was Queen's counsel? I think he would be very pleased, of course. It's a very different world, right? As I understand it, I've read a few things about my Uncle Andy. He worked in a little shop in Chinatown. He did a lot of work pro bono. This one thing I read about him was an account of representing the Chinese butcher shops because they were being prohibited from hanging the, the pork a dude. <laughs> wow. and, and oh my God, bat. I had no idea. He went to bat for them against the city in the fight to be allowed to hang the chasu on the, in the windows. Wow. Um, but he didn't have the type of practice that I do, that's for sure. He would be very pleased, but he would probably marvel at uh, how different my world is from his. It's funny you mentioned that. We just take that for granted now. Uh, honestly, mm-hmm. don't think twice about roasted suckling pig and chasu and all those delicious meats in the window. Uh So as you think about the past, turn your gaze towards the future to the extent to which maybe your paradigm or view or certain things might have changed since your appointment. Do you have any advice to young Asian lawyers who want to be the next Asian QC, the first year lawyer who's just in their articling or, or just finished their articles and achieved the kind of professional success that you have had? What would be your starting point for them? My advice to them wouldn't be much different than my advice to any young lawyer. It doesn't have to be a young Asian lawyer. As we discussed in our first interview almost a year ago, I am optimistic that we are evolving into a world in which it is a matter of cultural attitudes. Some of it was a matter of opportunity, but we could see, especially in young people today, that the ranks of young Asian litigators are growing to some extent. So going back to your question, I I think that the path for a young Asian litigator or frankly, any young litigator is is the same. It's to to do excellent work. It's to do your best. It's to always remember that your integrity and your reputation are are paramount, that those things should never take a backseat to the demands of clients or anything else and persevere. It, it takes a long time to get to a stage like this. It doesn't happen overnight. It, it, it happens by consistent excellence and consistent integrity and, and, and doing that over a long period of time. My final question centers back from your past, looking to the future, to young lawyers. With this appointment, do you see your role in the Asian legal community any differently than you did months back? I don't think so, just because of the QC. I do see my role is evolving. I, I think we discussed last time, it is important for people who are fortunate enough to be in my position, to be mentors and role models for the people who are coming up. And I certainly intend to continue to do that. I've been involved in the Allard School um, trial advocacy program for a while. I've continued to conduct CLEs every year. There's mentorship programs in my firm, and then there's faculties, and I'd like to continue all of that in terms of helping along the people who are just starting out. But I'm not sure that 
the appointment changes that radically one way or the other. Kevin, this has been a great conversation. Really appreciate you willing to share parts of your family story, some very personal thoughts about what your appointment means for you and for the community. Once again, congratulations on it. Very well-deserved. We're all rooting for you. And thank you very much for participating in this podcast. Well, thank you for having me again, Jolyn, anytime. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Fackle BC podcast. Visit our website at facklebc.ca and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at FackleBC. We hope you enjoyed our episode today and stay tuned for the next guest. If you have guest speaker suggestions, please email us at membership at facklebc.ca.